0: Uh, there's nothing like an election to tell us to think about what's wrong with our country. Uh, that's all the politicians talked about. They said, oh, we've got a cost of living crisis, poor people are getting poorer, rich people are getting richer, youth crime, domestic violence, growing lists of the sick and the suffering. Uh, and we told, we're told that these problems can be addressed by politics. Economics, social work, uh, community engagement, uh, laws, regulations. But we should ask, seeing as we change the government every three years, is there a deeper problem in our society beyond the reach of the levers of government? Uh, tragically, our Newsweek that's just gone has been filled with brutality on babies uh, Israeli babies butchered uh, Palestinian babies bombed uh, and here in New Zealand baby Roo beaten to death in his own home uh, is this just war and murder it's all just down to religion and history and geography and injustice and poverty And or should we ask the question is there a deeper problem that, that doesn't make it to the news line, news headlines, that, that, that tells us something about what's actually happening. Or perhaps you might reflect on your own life. Uh, harsh words, selfish actions, moral failures, mental struggles. Oh, is that just, that's just who I am? You know, I wish I was better, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try harder next time. It's just, that's all there is. Or do I and you, do we have a deeper problem than just my personality flaws? Now, if the analysis of our problems is always and only in the categories of political or biological or sociological or technology or economics or personal, then our solutions to whatever problems we face will also be shaped only by those categories. And that's a significant issue because it means that our solutions will only address some of the key elements of the problem but miss out on what is deeper and more fundamental in the issues we face. See, our world tries to get along as though God isn't there, as though God hasn't spoken or acted, as though God doesn't have plans and purposes. And when it comes to what's wrong with our world, people also try to operate as if there is no Satan, no devil, no power of evil. See, for Christian believers struggling in a hostile world, a world of persecution and suffering, John, the writer of the book of Revelation, pulls back the curtain and says, all the hardship, behind all the hardship that believers face is satanic power, aiming to disable and destroy God's people. There is an enemy, there is an evil one, a deceiver, the snake called the devil, or or Satan who leads the whole world astray. Uh, we've come to a section in uh, the book of Revelation where John is pulling back the curtain on satanic power at work in the world. Uh, four times in the book we have these little section markers, if you like. Heaven was opened and I saw. Uh, we came across one in chapter 4. We'll come across one when we get to chapter 19. But uh, chapter 11 finishes with this little section marker God's temple in heaven was opened. And we'll see the same thing uh, in chapter 15, verse 5. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, and it was opened. And you see, chapter 11 uh, finishes up the seven seals and the seven trumpets. And when we get to chapter 15, we're going to launch into the seven golden bowls full of more of God's wrath. But, but in between those two markers, in between the repeated cycles of seven judgments, we've got chapters 12 and 13 and 14. And these are chapters, chapters of dragons and ferocious beasts. These are chapters of persecution and worldwide deception these are chapters where we're given a window into the devil's power at work behind the scenes, stirring up all the world's antagonism toward God and God's people. Oh, yes, there's institutions and people in front that we see, but behind them, says John, is the devil at work. Now, as colourful and dramatic as these chapters are... Remember that what, we are, what we've been given is not something designed to be coded or confusing. This is the book of Revelation. That which was normally concealed or hidden is being revealed. The curtain's being pulled back to show believers the truth about the world. John is working, working to help us see the deeper realities to have our eyes open so that we can see life as it really is. And John's goal is not just that we know the truth. John wants us to feel the truth. John wants us to, to see uh, what's really happening and to realise that actually we're part of a cosmic struggle. John wants our minds open, but especially he wants our hearts stirred by these realities so we will live boldly and faithfully. And there is nothing like the intense and terrifying scenes pictured here in chapter 12 to burn the truth into our hearts and minds about the reality of Satan as the enemy of God's people. Uh, in chapter 12, we kind of have a short history of the world. Uh, we have three scenes. In the first scene, Satan tries to defeat Christ. In the second scene, Christ defeats Satan. And in the third scene, Satan is furious with Christ's people. Now, let's look at each of them turn. Uh, firstly, Satan tries to defeat Christ, but he fails, verses 1 through 6. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. We have this scene. A woman is about to give birth with a dragon poised next to her, ready to eat the baby the second it pops out. It's a pretty gruesome image. Now, what's going on? Who are these three characters? Well, John tells us who the dragon is. That's kind of easy. Verse 9, the dragon is that ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. And this uh, dragon has these seven heads, crowns, ten horns. A crown, symbol of power and authority. Horns, symbol in the Bible of strength, uh, able to do things. So, so the dragon is powerful. It can do things. It's not domestic. And it seems pretty clear who the baby is. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And you can see in the footnote, uh, there's a reference to uh, a ruler of the nations. It is language from Psalm 2. So it's a promise about God's king, the Messiah. Uh, chapter 2 and 19 of the book of Revelation, it's a promise applied to the Lord Jesus. So... Dragon is Satan, the baby is the Lord Jesus, who is the woman who gives birth? Now perhaps your first thought might naturally run to Mary, I mean she gives birth to Jesus, that's what we remember each Christmas, but, but John points us elsewhere. So verse 1, the opening description of the woman. She was clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. Uh, this is an allusion uh, all the way back to Joseph's dream in Genesis 37, where where he has this dream about uh, uh, the sun and the moon and 11 stars coming and bowing down to him. It's about Jacob, his father and his mother and his 11 brothers bowing down. Here, here it's 12 stars, all the brothers. This is, this, this is the picture of God's people, Israel. This is the people of God who will eventually go... Uh, down into Egypt. Uh, then in verse 14, uh, the woman is taken by the wings of an eagle to a place of safety in the wilderness. And again, this is an allusion uh, to Exodus 19, where, where God reminds the Israelites, I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And then verse 17, the enraged dragon is going to attack the rest of the woman's offspring those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. It could be the other siblings that Jesus has, but it's it's much more likely that we're talking about Christian believers here, those who hold uh, to their testimony about Jesus. Uh, these other children of the woman are Christian believers. Now you put all those three clues together, the woman represents uh, God's people in the Old Testament, God's people in the New Testament. The one people of God, the church we would say today. And Jesus comes from the people of God, from Israel. He's given birth from the people of God. And so this is the scene we have in verses 1 to 6. Satan the dragon is poised and prepared in advance for the arrival of the Messiah and he's ready to destroy Jesus at his birth. Now that's the dramatic imagery, but, but do remember what what that looked like in history at the time of Jesus' birth. King Herod issued an order to kill all the baby boys, to have them executed. And we see here that behind his selfish ambition, his grasping for power, oh, John says, no, satanic power was at work, scheming to murder Christ. Oh, we also know about the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, just as he's getting started in his public ministry, Satan is there trying to tempt Jesus, Jesus to deflect and derail Jesus with the temptations in the wilderness. And you roll on a little bit to, towards the, the crucifixion, we see Satan at work at the events leading up to the cross. Remember Judas deciding to betray Jesus, but how do the Gospel writers describe that? Satan entered into him. See, Satan is ready to devour Jesus at any and every opportunity. Well, the the action in John's vision... Uh, goes quite quickly. Sort of, we zoom from Jesus' birth and we whisk through his life, death and resurrection and go straight to his ascension into heaven all in one verse, verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. There's all of Jesus' life, one verse. He's born and he ascends. And the implication is that Satan's missed the opportunity. It's too late for him to devour Christ. He's already enthroned at the right hand of God. Uh, I mentioned before that, that we have this quote from uh, Psalm 2 being applied to Jesus. Uh, he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. Uh, psalm 2 is the coronation psalm. Uh, the song that you, you, you sing as part of the ceremony when uh, an Israelite king is crowned. And Psalm, tell, psalm 2 tells uh, those who would be rebels and fight against the Lord, they're too late. God's already installed his king, says Psalm 2. Well, here in chapter 12 of Revelation, Satan's too late. The Lord Jesus is already on the throne of heaven. Uh, the dragon's mission has failed. Now, that's the opening scene of chapter 12. The dragon tries to destroy Christ, but he fails. And scene one finishes with verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared to, for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. Now, we'll come back to that uh, because our next scene overlaps with it in time. Uh, scene one, Satan tries to defeat Christ, but it's a failure. Scene two, Christ defeats Satan. Scene two, it's set in heaven. Verse seven, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient snake called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They triumph over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Now this could be a confusing passage. Uh, some have mistakenly thought this is a kind of reference to Satan originally being turfed out of heaven and then he appears next in the Garden of Eden to tempt uh, Adam and Eve. Uh, the Bible has vague hints of that. Most of that idea, I think, comes from uh, poetry, Paradise Lost, uh, not the Bible. But anyway, that, that's not what's happening here. Uh, what we have here in Revelation 12, uh, with a graphic picture of angels warring in heaven, is the heavenly counterpart to the victory of Christ through his death and resurrection. That is, we're looking at the heavenly perspective on the scene that's just played out on earth. We've seen the dragon outwitted and outmaneuvered as Christ is born, lives, crucified, resurrected and now installed on the throne of heaven. And now we sort of switch camera position, if you like, and we're in heaven watching an action replay as this child becomes king and is enthroned and, and plays out in heaven with Satan losing a long war and he's hurled out of heaven. That's made clear in verse 11 uh, with the explanation of how Satan is conquered. They triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That is, uh, by the blood of the lamb means Jesus' crucifixion, his death on the cross. And because of that, Satan is hurled down. He's cast out of heaven. He's defeated. Now, what we have here in graphic imagery, we find elsewhere in the New Testament, stated perhaps more plainly. In John's Gospel, we read Jesus saying, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. Or the Apostle Paul to the Colossians when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. See, Jesus' death accomplishes many things. Forgiveness from God, salvation from judgment, uh, adoption into God's family, freedom from slavery to sin. And on the list of achievements of the cross, Satan is defeated along with all demonic power. And what does the defeat of Satan look like for us? Well, what does it mean? Well, one of the things it means is that Satan's weapon of accusation is taken away. Uh, look at verse 10. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. Uh, the word Satan in Hebrew uh, just means accuser. So Satan is armed with the power of accusation. Uh, Satan is the one who whispers in your ear, you, you know you're not really fit for God's kingdom, for, for, for the future in heaven. You, you know what you've done this week. You know that sin. You did it again, didn't you? You don't really belong in church this morning. Uh, Satan whispers in our ear all sorts of accusations. And here's the problem. The accusations that Satan whispers are true. True. You're not fit for heaven. I'm not by nature. By the way, you've behaved this week, you shouldn't call yourself a Christian. And rightly, I shouldn't. See, Satan has the role of the sort of prosecuting lawyer in a, a courtroom before God, the judge. And God doesn't throw the case out of court because the case is valid. I do. You do have a case to answer. So how does Jesus rescue people like us from Satan's prosecution? Well, by taking away from Satan the power of accusation because Jesus takes away from us the guilt of our crime. As Jesus dies for us as a sacrifice, as he pays the penalty for our sins, in this way our slate is wiped clean. Our debt is cancelled. Before God, the judge, all the charges against us read, paid in full. And now Satan stands before God, the judge, ready to accuse us and discovers there isn't a crime that's left which Jesus hasn't paid for. Satan prevailed as the accuser as long as he could point to our sins. But the blood of the lamb was the price paid for the cancellation of our debt. Uh, the blood of the Lamb wipes away our guilt of sin forever. Uh, this is how Jesus has disarmed the accuser, and so Satan is hurled down. Verse 11, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Uh, the word of their testimony isn't, uh, as we so often use it, kind of a reference to my story, but rather it's a declaration of Jesus' story. Uh, it's, so to speak, the sort of sworn testimony that we would make about Jesus. It's holding fast to the gospel. Satan has been defeated as accuser. Oh, it doesn't mean that he still won't accuse you. Uh, it doesn't mean that you'll never have a guilty conscience or doubts or worries about the future. Uh, he will still accuse believers, but they are empty charges. They are the accusations of a corrupt lawyer bringing charges he knows won't hold up into the courtroom of a righteous judge who will throw those charges out. So here's the history of the world so far. The devil is ready to devour Jesus but he fails. Jesus dies on the cross, he defeats Satan and Satan is hurled out of heaven. Now that all sounds like a time for great celebration and it is, verse 12, therefore rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. Satan's got the boot from heaven. So lots of singing up there. But woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Uh, which brings us to scene three. Uh, the devil now pursues the church with great fury. Satan, defeated in heaven, hurled down to earth, is now full of fury. Satan's been mortally wounded, but he still operates with all the vicious anger of someone who knows that his end is coming. Verse 13, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the snake's reach. I do see that verse 6 and verse 14 are, are bookends. Are both verses we have the woman fleeing from the dragon into the wilderness. We have a place prepared for her uh, to be taken care of by God. And we have the same time period. 1,260 days is equivalent to a time, times, and half a time. A year, two years, and half a year. It's the same as the 42 months we saw last week. They're all different ways of expressing the period of time that is half of seven years. Half of that number that we've been talking about is the full or complete time. In other words, three and a half is shortened time. It's less than it might have been. Uh, nevertheless, it's still a chunk of time. There is a trial and ordeal to go through, but it's shortened. It's less. And those bookends wrap around this scene in heaven. It's a way of inviting us to sort of compare and contrast what happens on earth with the woman and the uh, being chased by the dragon and what happened in heaven. See Satan is flung out of heaven, which means his fury will be experienced on earth, but also that the, the, the victory of Christ that saw Satan expelled from heaven, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they do not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. That was the means of victory in heaven. that will be the means of victory over Satan on earth. Well, the fury of Satan's unleashed against the people of God, the church, verse 15. Then from his mouth the snake spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of its mouth. Then the dragon was enraged by the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. It looked like a series of kind of near misses. The dragon pursues the woman, but she's given wings of the eagle and so she flies away to safety in the, in the wilderness. Again, it's, it's imagery from the Old Testament. Israel in the wilderness brought to God out of the clutches of Egypt, delivered to Mount Sinai on eagle's wings, so to speak. Then, Then Satan tries to sweep the church away in a flood. But God opens the earth and it swallows the river. Uh, perhaps it's an allusion to the, the people of God cornered by Pharaoh and his Egyptian army against the Red Sea until God opens up a way through the waters to rescue his people. See, the, the dragon gets close, but the woman is miraculously rescued by God. Satan gets close to destroying God's people, but God miraculously preserves his church. Verse 17 the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war. That's, that's the banner, that's the explanation for here and now, for the day and the age in which you and I live. Satan failed to defeat Christ. In fact, Christ defeated Satan, taking away his, his power as an accuser. So Satan is furious and he rages against God's people, the church. And Time and again, church history, it looks like the church will be wiped out by Satan. I mean, if you lived in the first century and you were one of the seven churches that we looked at in chapters two and three, I mean, it looked like a very real possibility these churches will disappear. I mean, Christianity was tiny. This minuscule religion barely hanging on as imperial power would be used surely to, for Satan to sweep it all away. Which of those first believers could imagine faith in Jesus would conquer the Roman Empire? Down through the centuries there have been times when it looks like the entire church has lost its way in false doctrine and heresy and failed morality. Now the gospel looks dead and buried but God raises up a reformer and the gospel is rediscovered. Perhaps today, here for us in New Zealand, the uh, the number of churches and the number of Christians shrinks every year. The relentless pressure of our secularist Western world, our New Zealand culture, that says ah, you're all idiots, Christianity's nonsense. Or, or we look around the globe and we see uh, the rise of Islam in the Middle East. It looks overwhelming. Here we are, who are we? We're a tiny group of powerless Christians plugging away in a provincial town that could care less about Jesus. What will God do next? Will he renew and revive here? Hard to say. Will we see an explosion of the gospel in other parts of the world that a that 100 years ago seemed dead and lifeless and barren to gospel work? More people have become Christians coming from Muslim backgrounds over recent decades than all the 15 previous centuries put together. The fastest growing church in the world at the moment is in Iran. Who could imagine that? I said, One day, on the last and great day, we'll look back across all of history and we'll look at all those near misses, Surely the church is going to get, what? oh no, got rescued. Oh, we're going to, no, God saved it there. Satan furiously raging against God's people, the church, and yet miraculously the church will be victorious on the final day because Jesus really is building his church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Oh yes, Satan can and will inflict serious damage on individuals and congregations. Oh, there's pain to go through, discouragement and disappointment because Satan is at work. We have an enemy and not all the battles will go our way. Oh, the war is won, the ultimate victory is assured, but there will be skirmishes, there will be losses. Well, we're going to look in chapters uh, 13 and 14 more at how Satan works uh, in the coming weeks. But The Apostle Paul puts it this way, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's Paul's way of putting it in the letter. Uh, John expresses the same truth, but with much more dramatic imagery and emotional charge. Because John wants Christian believers not only to see the world with new eyes, he wants us to feel deeply the cosmic struggle that we are part of. Satan is exercising evil, demonic power behind the scenes, leading the whole world astray. And John through Revelation wants to stir us to live bravely and faithfully as an enraged dragon is waging war against Christian believers who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give you thanks and praise. We're not blind. You, know, you get to open our eyes through your word that we might see the world as it is. So help us to look past the superficial, to see satanic power at work, to put our hope and trust in the Lord Jesus that we might conquer through the blood of the Lamb and through a persevering testimony about Jesus. Help us to play our part in your great cosmic battle as we build and work for the Lord Jesus and serve his church together. We thank you. We know that victory comes and has been won through the Lord Jesus. And on the last day, we will rejoice with you. Give us faithfulness for this day, we pray. Amen.